Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's so funny. Uh, Paul called me a few years ago when he was coaching in Sacramento. Yeah, I got to make a decision. Uh, one of my assistant coaches is going to beat the hell out of one of my players. <laughs> and I says, well, first of all, you should let your coach beat the hell out of him because maybe that'll straighten him up. We are moving on now that episode one is in the books. First of all, I just want to thank everybody for all the comments, subscribing, hit me up on social media. We are going to... You know, get into a jog, then a sprint, and we are in this for the long haul. And uh, I've never been really socially, uh, I'm not social media savvy. Like, you know, I'm not Facebook, Instagram, but I'm getting all of this up. We're getting it all to speed because I want, if you don't like that with Grant Napier, uh, to be around for a long time. But I couldn't do it without you. And And I really mean this. I'm just absolutely overwhelmed with the response to the first podcast. I'm glad so many of you checked it out. I'm glad that so many of you commented. I'm glad that so many of you subscribed. And it was important for me to talk, you know, about my experiences uh, over the last several months, and I talked as much as I could on the topics that I think you wanted to, to hear about, my upbringing and everything else. But again, to keep the comments coming. I'm going to do my very best to uh, get back to you. Uh, we are going to be coming twice a week, Tuesday and Friday to you via all of the podcast platforms. We are brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. You know, I've worked with Roy for years and, you know, trust me, you can count on Roy's Umbrella for a very low rate on your home loan. No tricks, no nonsense, no extra charges at the end. And I'm telling you, Roy's been incredibly loyal to me and he will treat you like family. Just go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. You'll be glad that you did. Uh, I've got a very special guest uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes. I know a lot of people have been talking about LeBron James, you know, walking off the court uh, after game three. It wasn't as big of a deal to me as many others. I just think everyone is nitpicking. Uh, Listen, am I a fan of a guy leaving the court before the rest of his teammates? No, I'm not. Am I going to kill LeBron James, who's now playing in his 10th NBA Finals because he left the court 10 seconds early? I'm not going to kill the guy for that. I didn't like it, but like, you know, with everything going on in the world, I mean, seriously, with everything going on in our country, with everything else going on in sports I'm not going to kill LeBron James for walking off the court with 10 seconds left again I I didn't like it Uh, I'm not a fan of it but uh, it is what it is you know I've been getting a lot of comments 
from people that wanted to know my take on what happened with the uh, King's uh, front office this summer. And I will just say this. When the pandemic hit back in March, the Kings were getting ready to play a nationally televised game on uh, ESPN, and they were getting ready to play New Orleans. And it was Zion Williamson's first trip into uh, the Golden One Center. And as we know, the Kings had been playing their best basketball of the year. They had won 13 of 20, and everyone was excited. And I remember going on the radio before the game, and everybody was pumped up. And, you know, the Kings had just come off a road win uh, up in Portland where they embarrassed the Portland Trailblazers. The Kings knew that they had two more games left with New Orleans. They had won the season series against Memphis. And, again, there was a lot of enthusiasm. So I'll ask you, what would have happened? What would have happened if the league said, that's it, we'll start up Next season, there will be no bubble, all right? Then the Kings would have ended on a high note. But instead, they were one of the teams that went to Orlando. And what happened? They had four players come down with the virus. They got off to a slow start. De'Aaron Fox got hurt. Holmes got uh, quarantined, then he got hurt. And the Kings didn't play well. And you fire Vladi Divac, and the front office now is completely different. I didn't understand that. I, I did not. I think that you should have given Vladi Divac and Luke Walton one more year. Now, Luke's got three more years left on his deal. But why would you give Vladi Divac a, a multi-year, what was it, a four-year deal last summer? And again, the Kings were playing very well. And the other part I don't understand is they played well as soon as they put Buddy Heald on the bench. And apparently, Buddy is unhappy about that. Well, I, I, are you in the winning or are you not in the winning? You know, it's really that simple to me. You know, you, you got your contract. You know, and I'm, I like Buddy. I'm a big fan of Buddy Heald. I'm a big fan of him as a person, and I'm a big fan of him as a player. But I, 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 I'm, I'm all about the team, especially once you have your money, right? You've got your $90 million. The team played their best basketball of the year with you coming off the bench, and you're on the floor for most of the games at the end of the stretch, right? You're playing at the end of games most of the time. So that's just my take. I would have... Waited one more season, but it wasn't my decision to make. And I can't judge everything that happened in the bubble because I think that was such a crazy situation. And again, you know, with four players coming, and I'm not making excuses. Hey, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a dog in the fight anymore, man. I'm done. You know, it doesn't really matter to me, and I really mean that. It, it, it just doesn't really matter to me. I care about the fans. I really hope that they get to see, you know, playoff basketball at some point, but. I just, it's a little baffling to me. I will just say that. It's a little baffling to me. We will have a rant. And actually, I am going to be doing a rant every day that will be on various platforms such as YouTube. I'll try to put it on my Instagram account and everything else. So you, we're going to have a lot of fun right here, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier. You know, folks, I've been doing a lot of thinking about who to have for my first guest. I wanted someone who doesn't care about your skin color, religion, sexuality. You know, I really wanted someone who, you know, they don't care about being politically correct. Someone who isn't afraid to speak how they feel. I wanted someone who just doesn't talk the talk, but walks the walk. I introduce you, 11-time All-Star. You see him inside the NBA on TNT. It's Charles Barkley. Charles, welcome to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful, man. Uh, tonight's a big night. It's my last night of work. So, man, I'm really pumped. Now I get to, hey, I cannot wait to get my big fat butt to Arizona and play golf for the next 
two to three months, depending on when the NBA starts again. So this is a big day for Mr. Barkley. It is a big day for Mr. Barkley. You know, before we talk about everything that's going on, take me back to growing up in Leeds, Alabama. You know, I didn't even realize this, that you were one of the first black students in your grade school. What was it like for you growing up? What was it like as a child? You know, I I thought it was awesome, uh, to be honest with you, because, you know, Growing up uh, in a small town, I think it takes a lot of pressure off of kids. You know, and kids aren't racist. Uh, Adults are racist. And, you know, I remember, well, I don't remember the exact situation, but I remember when my grandmother and mother decided to send us to the uh, integrate the schools, I guess would be the best way. And uh, there was a guy named Mr. Allen who took me and like four kids uh, to the school, and like I say, we didn't know it was a big deal at the time, but clearly it was a big deal. But man, everybody treated us wonderful, and uh, it, it taught me a lot about life as I got older. Because obviously, being from Birmingham, well, Leeds, right outside of Birmingham, it has a very complicated racial history. With uh, obviously the church bombing in Birmingham, which was the year I was born. Uh, and then you got the Montgomery boycott, and you got the Selma massacre. And, you know, my grandmother, the greatest person in my life ever, she talked a lot about that stuff when I got old enough to understand. And uh, it had a huge effect upon my life to treat people with respect and dignity. Because, you know, even when I met later in life the great uh, Reverend C.T. Vivian, uh, we interviewed him as part of our uh, at, the, at the MLK Center, one time, and he said, Charles, the one thing I want you to always talk about, remember, there's a lot of white people who got beat and killed in the civil rights movement. It wasn't just about black people. And I said, sir, my grandmother always taught me that, and I'll make sure that I always keep that in perspective. Charles, you're four years younger than me. And one of my biggest frustrations that I see going on in our country right now is that we're not able to have a conversation We're not allowed to disagree with one another. You know, uh, call it cancel culture if you're white. And and I don't want to use me as an example because that's not why I had you on to just talk about me. But is that frustrating for you? What is the answer? How are we ever going to become better? How is this country ever going to grow if we cannot have a difference of opinion and have just adults speaking the way I think we used to? We don't have that anymore. Well, it started in politics. Uh, it's a travesty and a disgrace of these people running our country. And, and it's, it, it falls on the Democrats and the Republicans. They disagree on every subject, which is impossible. And it's, it's just a travesty and a disgrace what they had done to our country. And then you got the public who kind of just picks a team. You know, the one thing I talked about in one of my books is when, when, when racial stuff happens, whether you're right or wrong, everybody sticks with their own tribe. And that's one of the problems we got. But listen, the truth of the matter is it's really just about the politicians because we follow their leads. Uh, I mean, you see the Republican Democrats on TV all the time. They, they, they fight. They don't look out for other people. They don't look out for the other group who didn't vote for them. You know, you, you know we vote for the president of the United States, and he only represents half of the people. And that's really unfortunate. And same thing with the rest of our politicians. Let's get to sports. Where do you think the line should be with sports and political and social issues? You know, that's a very tricky question. I'm not, I'm going to ask you a question, but that's a very tricky question, Grant, because 
you know, it, 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 nobody really knows the line, but I think that we have to really be careful crossing the line because, you know, people turn on sports to get away from reality, and I don't think that's possible right now. I want to want to know where this thing is going in the future and going forward because, you know, we, we, we've opened a, a can of worms that we have – I don't know if we can get back to the other side. And, and, and the thing that sucks about the whole thing, Grant, is people only want your opinion if they agree with you. That's the thing that's, that, that that makes me laugh about, like, people, we want you to be politically active, but we want you to be politically active on what we want you to say. And we want you to have the same point of view as we have. <laughs> you know, that that's the thing that's interesting. And it'd be curious to me if one of these players wore a Trump. Jersey, how he would be, right. how he would be, uh, you know, <laughs> that would sure. make me laugh. So people want you to be politically active, but that's only if they agree with you. I have spent the last four months speaking to many, many people, and I mentioned this on my first podcast. And the one theme, more so than any other, is that the fans that I've talked to, they don't want to see all of this in in sports, that it's turning them off. Do you feel the NBA you put it crossing the line. Do you feel the NBA's crossed the line with this? Well, I think they're playing with fire. I do. I think they're playing with fire. But that goes back to our your original question about when do we get to the point where we can't have a, a honest and fair discussion. So, uh, as I said, people only want you to be politically active if they agree with you. And I think the NBA, I think we're, it's, a, it's a very fine line that we're playing with right now uh, because, you know, people turn on sports to watch sports. I think if you – okay, think about this. Four or five months ago when there was no sports, all we had – like, it was crazy. I mean, for the first time in my life, I was like, damn. You know, sports aren't the most important thing in the world, but they really are important. When there was no sports going on, I had friends, people calling me like – Yo, man, we need y'all. We need <laughs> right. y'all. So it's been a very interesting thing since we're back. And like I say, I think I think we all should be politically active. But when people turn on this, on, on when people turn on uh, television to watch sports, they really want to watch sports. So like I say, it's a very fine line. And like I say, hey, listen, our ratings aren't great. Could you say something about that? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any proof, but you could say something about that. But our ratings haven't been great. And we're going to see where this thing goes going forward. Charles, on my first podcast, I read a tweet from Kevin Euclid, former MLB player, because I've done a lot of research. and I've really tried to sit back this summer and soak everything in, learn about a lot of different things. And I wanted to get different viewpoints. And he, of everything that I saw this summer, this stuck out to me, and I want to read it to you. He said this on Twitter. The mental health and well-being of our country is deteriorating, and social media is the culprit. The constant hatred towards others that don't share the same opinions is tiresome and unhealthy for our society. We all need to be better so the next generation is healthier and happier. That's pretty much what you were just saying. Well, you know I don't do any social media for that reason. Uh, I think it's just where all the losers go to feel important and significant. First of all, I would never in my life, and I consider my life very successful, I would never stop what I'm doing to go on a computer and say something bad about somebody. 
I, I just like because I, I, I just see what kind of mindset do you have? You're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to stop what I'm doing because I think it's really important for me to say something bad about somebody. Like, that to me makes you a loser. Like, no, you know what? Hey, man, I got more important things going on in my life. I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing to, like, okay, let me take time to say something bad about a person. But listen, I, I, I don't believe in social media. Uh, I'm never going to use social media. I've been offered millions of dollars to do social media. And I'm like, there's not a chance in the world <laughs> that I'm that I'm going to talk to these losers. You know, I always say this, because if you're at work being successful, you're at work being successful. Now, if you're living with your parents and you in your pajamas all day and you're just surfing the Internet, looking to say things about every situation, you just have to say, you know what? I'm a loser. <laughs> I'm not out here being successful. I'm not participating in the world. I'm living in my parents' basement in my pajamas all day. My mama washes my clothing. She cooks my meals. And I'm just spending all my time looking around for something I got to voice my opinion upon. And I refuse to, to get involved with those losers personally. Charles, I want to share a conversation that I had with Paul Westfall. The day that I lost my jobs, I received a call from Paul Westfall, who, of course, coached you in the NBA Finals with Phoenix. And he, we talked for 10 or 15 minutes, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you and Star. Uh, uh, later on in the summer, I got another phone call from Paul Westfall. And we talked for 10 minutes, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm really praying for you and Star. I'm just checking to see how you're doing. And it was about 10 days after that phone call that I heard from Mike Lupica that Paul Westfall was diagnosed with brain cancer. And I called Paul the next day, and it was a very somber, sad conversation. And I said, Paul, I'm calling to let you know that I am thinking about you and that Star and I are praying for you, and you have so many people that are in your corner and praying for you. And his first response was, well, Grant, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you and Star every day. And it was a sad, somber conversation. Paul is one of my favorite guys, Charles. He was only in Sacramento for a short period of time, but he's just somebody that I looked up to and have always admired. What was it like, that run that you had in Phoenix with him as the coach? Well, you know, I flew out to spend a couple of days with Paul last week when I was off. He's somebody I really admire. He's one of the few people in my 30-some years, in the well, since 84. I've been in this thing since 84, uh, 16 as a player and 20 on television. So over 35 years. He's one of the few people in this business who ain't full of shit. You know, yeah, period. I admire yep. him. You know, I admire him. I respect him. I love him. I had been sending him texts to him and Cindy, but I had a couple of days off when the Clippers lost and had to go a couple of extra games. So I flew out to Phoenix just to spend a couple of days with Paul. And like I say, he's somebody I'd really admire and really respect. It's so funny. Uh, Paul called me a few years ago when he was coaching in Sacramento. And one of his players, who was not a good person, said, he says, yeah, I got to make a decision. Uh, one of my assistant coaches is going to beat the hell out of one of my players. <laughs> and I says, well, first of all, you should let your coach beat the hell out of him because maybe that will straighten him up. <laughs> and he says, yeah, but if I don't fire this guy, I might lose my job. I said, first of all, you're going to lose your job anyway because of this guy. And uh, I said, Paul, I'm just going to tell you this. That guy's going to get you fired. If you're going to get fired, you should do it your way. And he called me back a couple hours later. He said, I fired the coach. I said, well, 
At least we know your days are numbered. He called me back like I take up months later. He says, "You were right and I was wrong." Oh, you weren't wrong. You, I say, man, I, I love you. It's all good. It is all good. You know, it was interesting. Probably not for you, but for for most of the country in the last dance to, you know, go back and look at that final series against Chicago. When you think back to being that close to a championship of those games that were played, which ones? to this day, haunt you, or does a game haunt you? Game one haunts me because I didn't have our team ready to play. Grant, it was interesting. Normally when I played a game, I had a game plan. I'm going to either get the role players going or I'm going to try to dominate and let them follow me. So the game one was obviously in Phoenix, and I said, okay, I need to get these other guys going. And the moment was too big for our team. And that's actually the only bad game we played that series. But what bothered me was I I, I should have been more aggressive. That should have been the one where I was really aggressive and let them follow. But what was interesting about that last dance thing, Michael said the exact same thing when they played the Lakers when he he won his first championship. He says, we were nervous in game one. The moment was too big for us. I smacked myself in the head that night because he went through the exact same thing I went through because the Lakers didn't win another game after that. But, you know, I had played in a bunch of big games and I didn't realize how much different it was playing in the finals. So uh, it was interesting hearing Michael say, hey, we got too nervous for game one. That's why the Lakers beat us. Then we won four straight. And I was saying to myself, damn, that pissed me off even, even all these years later now. I'm like... Yeah, if, it, if Michael Jordan was nervous for game one of the finals, I should have had my team, and I should have been more aggressive. Uh, but that's the only game that really bothered me, to be honest with you. Even when the game six, the only thing that bothered me about that game is, you know, we had a six-point lead, I think, and we ran two plays to get me the ball, and the best double team I ever saw was Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. And I had to pass the ball twice. Because, you know, I was always going to try to make the good basketball play. And I never got a shot. And they ended up scoring seven straight points to beat us when Pax hit the three at the buzzer. But game one is the only one that really pisses me off. I take full responsibility for that. I did not have us ready to play in game one. Charles, I tell people all the time the most difficult part about this job is criticizing people that you like, criticizing people who are your friends. And you criticized Michael Jordan as ownership with the Charlotte Hornets, and that has really hurt your relationship, your friendship. Does that hurt you? Does that bother you, Charles? It hurts me a lot. It hurts me a lot. The guy was probably my best friend in the world wow. for X amount of years. But, you know, uh, you know, I miss Michael. I love Michael. I wish Michael nothing but the best. But, Grant, what you said was, listen, you can't – see, that one of the reasons I hate guys like Skip Bayless – Because you can't pick and choose who you want to criticize. You have to be fair to everybody. Because I always tell people, most of these people at home never going to meet these guys. And if you're biased against a guy just because you don't like him or nice to a guy just because he's a friend or you like him, there's somebody going to like, oh, I saw Charles Barkley say it. I saw Mike Greenberg. Uh, I saw Stephen A., I saw Skip Bayless, because people believe what they see on television. And I'm always, there's not one person can ever say, yeah, Charles said something about me because he didn't like me. 
You can go back. I've been on TV for 20 years. I guarantee you there's not one single player, even when I criticize guys, can say, he just said that because he didn't like me. I've always been fair, and I'm going to always be fair to because I think that's really important when you do your job. Because, like I say, you, most of these people are never going to meet these guys. We have a moral obligation to be honest, and I think I've always been honest and fair. That's the thing I love the most about you, Charles, and it's why I wanted to have you on, because there is no BS about you. And I, like Stephen A. Smith, you know, when he talked about white privilege with Steve Nash, and you came right out and hammered him. And I know a lot of people respected you for saying what they couldn't, but that's how you roll. Well, first of all, it bothered me, because if you're going to get on TV and say that, you have to be like, okay, that's true. First of all, there is a thing that's called white privilege, but it had nothing to do with the Steve Nash situation, because I named three guys off the top of my head. You know, Jason Kidd, Doc Rivers, and Derek Fisher, three guys who never coached a day in their life, went right into coaching. So to get on TV and say, well, Steve Nash only got the job because of white privilege, I'm like, wait a minute, that's not fair. I just named three black guys who did the exact same thing. And see, you know, one of the reasons I don't like talking about race, Grant, is because very few people have a pure heart. Now, uh, we can have a racial discussion, but are you going to be able to be honest and fair? That's the key. And very few people are like, no, no, I'm just going to protect my tribe. I don't care if they're right or wrong. And I'm like, no, that's not the way this thing works. We're never going to have an honest and fair conversation if you're not going to listen to me. Not only that, Charles, I-, I talk about this a lot. People that bitch and complain all the time. And I always ask them, I'm like, okay, what are you doing to make your community better? And then I say, what are you doing to make the black community better? And I'm often met with silence. I don't mind people that are bitching and complaining, but do something about it. There are too many people that just yap, 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 and then you never hear from them again. And those are the people that I have a problem with. If you feel strongly about something, then do something. Well, I think it's important. You know, it's interesting when people, I've been criticized at times, you know, because a couple of times I have defended the cops. I said, wait a minute, we need cops. We need cops. If it wasn't for cops, you know, it would be the wild, wild west. And then, you know, people like, well, Charles, is this and this. I said, well, what are you doing for your community? And they're like, what are you doing? I says, well, okay, let's, let me start here. I said, I'm giving a million dollars to four historically black colleges. Uh, I'm giving black women in Alabama a million dollars to do IT startups. Uh, I'm giving black men a million dollars to learn to be carpenters, plumbers, and electricians. What are you doing? I said, these are my cards. Put your cards on the table. And, you know, they'll shut up real quick. Uh, I'm like, come on, tell me what you're going to do. Let's all put our cards on the table and see who are doing things for our community. I can shut them up real quick. I said, it's great to be a Monday. You know, I always tell people, you you know, all the – I call them Monday morning quarterbacks. You know the bad thing about being a Monday morning quarterback? The game is played on Sunday. I said, hey, all the real soldiers – they play the game on Sunday. <laughs> All these Monday morning quarterbacks, I said, y'all don't have the, the stones to play on Sunday. So y'all get out there on Monday and act like y'all know what the hell y'all talking about. I said, hey, let's all lay our cards on the table and go from there. Charles, I don't need to say this. I don't need to butter you up. You don't need that. But I've seen you without the cameras around. I, I know how you treat people. I've seen what you've done for the fire victims up in the Tahoe region uh, when you're up there for the American Century Celebrity Golf Tournament. I'm 
I'm very close with Scott Brooks, and he told me some great stories when he lived with you his rookie year. But the one story that always sticks out in my mind, he said it was late night, and you guys were driving home, and all of a sudden you made a U-turn, and you pulled into a grocery store, and, you know, Scott didn't ask what you were doing. He was like, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. And you went in, and you bought a whole bunch of groceries, and then you got back in the car, and he said you guys were driving home, and all of a sudden you pull over, and you get out of the car, and you hand all these groceries to a homeless family that you had seen driving. And, again, I, I don't say that other than I hear so many stories about you and, and that. Were you always like that? Were you always a giving person? When you were a kid, did you have other people gravitate towards you? Were you always that guy? How, how did that evolve, Charles? You know, Grant, it started, our society is screwed up to a certain degree because it's like, we like, you need to make a lot of money. You need to have a big house and a big car. And like, that's, we're kind of brainwashed. Like, that's your only goals in life. And then I said, like, man, I'm 22 years old, and I got all that stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, no, nah, there's more to life than this. I'm like, because like I say, uh, you, know, we're, oh, you know, when we talk to kids, they're like, you know, hey, make a lot of money, get a big house, a big car, and you're successful. I'm like, no, nah, I think there's a little more to this thing than that. And I realized that my, I'm the luckiest person, and I'm not saying that to be humble or whatever. You know, man, I got... I have I've had a great life for dribbling a stupid basketball. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a fireman. I'm not a policeman. I'm not a sur- surgeon. I'm not somebody who's in the armed service. Like people got like real meaningful jobs. I make a lot of money to, to to dribble a stupid basketball and talk about it. So there's got to be more to life than that. Anytime I get a chance to help people along the way, I think it's important. I think it's significant. I didn't do anything better than you, Star, anybody in the world. I just got somebody gave me a lot of talent. I put a lot of hard work into it. So you should just be appreciative and be happy how lucky you are. Charles, other than a family member, who's the one person who's had the biggest influence on your life? Moses Malone. Moses Malone is the most important person in my basketball career. You know, Grant, I was the number five pick in the draft. I played about 295 pounds in college. I I was in college for three years. I led the SEC in rebounding every year. When I got to the NBA, I wasn't getting to play. And Moses stayed in the same building with me, stayed in the penthouse. I was way down on the bottom, just for the record. And uh, I said, Moses, can I come see you tonight? And I went up to his condo one night, and I said, Moses, why am I not getting to play? Uh, He says, you know, you fat and you lazy. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, what part of that you didn't understand? He said, Charles, you weigh 293, 94 pounds. You can't play at that weight in the NBA. He says, you're lazy because you're fat. And Grant, this guy, well, first of all, I went downstairs and cried because it hurt my feelings, obviously. And he said to me, hey, listen, if you want to be a great player, you got to get in shape. And this guy, who was already Hall of Fame bound, one of the greatest to ever do it, met with me every day, every night. He said, let's lose 10 pounds. I get to 290. He said, let's lose 10 more. I get to 280. And now I'm starting to get to play. Then it gets to 270. And now I'm starting. And I'm working my behind off. And like I say, because all I'm doing is playing defense and rebounding. Because I'm with Dr. J, Moses Marici, Andrew Tony. Wow. They're not calling no plays for no rookie. <laughs> then I get to two. Then I get to two sixty. Then I get to two fifty. 
I actually get to 240, but I don't have a lot of strength and energy at 240. So Moses says 250 is your playing weight, and the rest is history. But if it wasn't for Moses taking time for a fat kid from a small town in Alabama, making him lose 50 pounds, you know, and Grant, you've been in the NBA for 100 years just like me. We've seen guys eat their way out the league. Oh, yes. Yeah, we've seen guys oh, yes. eat their way out the league. So if it wasn't for Moses Malone, I wouldn't be where I am today. I'm close with Spud Webb, and he says the same thing about Moses Malone, that he's the best player, he's the best guy he's ever been around. But he said that he's never laughed as hard in his life as when he was a teammate with Mo. I mean, it had to be just unbelievable being around that guy every day. He was something else. Well, not just him, though. Remember, I had Dr. J, uh, Maurice Cheeks, Andrew Toney, Clement Johnson, Clint Richardson, Bobby Jones. You know, and that's actually, I've always said, one of the biggest problems with the NBA today is they don't have enough old guys on the team. Those guys taught me how to, number one, get in shape. They taught me how to handle my money. They taught me how to dress. I mean, I think every NBA team should have an older guy who these guys can talk to about, hey, how do you handle your family? Because your family, you know, they're going to use up all your money if you let them. That's there's a reason 80% of professional athletes go broke because family and friends are always beating them up for money. So I think you need to teach the young guys that. I think you need to teach them how to dress. I think you need to tell them, okay, listen, guys, no matter how good a player you are, you're only going to play in the NBA a small period of time. You know, you need to save your money now because this money got to, to last you the rest of your life. I think all I learned all that from those guys. What would have happened if Moses Malone was coming into the league right now? I mean, the game is so different, Charles. It's a three-point shooting game. What's going to be the future of big men? How's that going to work? I mean, gosh, we took and talk about, you know, Will Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, name, name, name any of them. I mean, would have they adapted? Would have they been just fine in this day and age of the NBA? Do you like where the game's heading, or do you wish it was the way it used to be? Well, I don't wish the way – listen, I want the game to just be played, to be honest with you. But my problem is this notion that, and I talk about it on the show all the time, this notion that if you make threes, you win the game, you miss threes, you lose the game. I'm like, what? wait, hold on a second. That's your coaching strategy? That's the Houston Rockets. Like, yeah, I'm like, wait a minute, that's your strategy? Yeah. That's not a strategy. You go back to the Lakers series against the Rockets. Well, AD and LeBron just pummeled them in the post. The notion that we can't, have a guy who can get some baskets in the post. You know, why is Carl Anthony Towns shooting threes? If he wants to shoot threes every now and then, that just helps the defense out. Joel Embiid, any coach who's like, Joel Embiid, you're the most dominant big man in the NBA in the post, stand out there and shoot threes. Are you telling me that's good coaching? No. Joel Embiid, get your big butt on the box. Carl Anthony Towns, get your big butt on the box. Anthony Davis, yeah, you can make threes, but you're a nightmare in the post, trying to, guys trying to guard you. So this notion that there's no room for a big man, come on, man. I, that, that's like – yeah. And, and the thing that's really interesting about the whole thing, Grant, the Warriors had the three greatest offensive players, shooters probably ever on one team, and they won back-to-back championships. But if you notice the last couple of years, they're down to eighth. The notion that seven teams are shooting more threes than the Warriors, who had the three greatest shooters. The, the last two years that the Warriors won the championship, they were, in, they were in eighth 
Uh, I talk about it all the time. They were eighth in three-point field goals attempted. The notion that you got the three greatest offensive players, shooters ever on one team, I mean, the Rockets are an outlier, number one. But the notion that six NBA teams are shooting more threes than Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry, that's absurd. Charles, you're on your way to Arizona. My my question that's really important to you, why the hell can't you play golf the way you hit the ball on the range, man? I've watched you on the range. It's pure. You got a little draw on the ball. There's no hitch. And then you walk over to that first tee, and I'm like, wait a minute. Where's the guy that was just hitting balls on the range for crying out loud? It's just pressure. It's just pressure. You know, it's really weird, to be honest with you, because I have played with guys before who couldn't handle pressure. And – I'm talking about in, in college and pros. I've actually played with guys, I'm like, who cannot perform under pressure. And I had never realized what it was until I developed my nervous twitch in my golf game. And so it's a really weird thing for me to be going through because like, I never was nervous or scared in an NBA game. But for some reason, when I get to that first tee, I feel a tremendous amount of pressure. And listen, I will say this. I'm playing better now than I've played in the last 20 years. I feel like I'm coming out of this thing I've been into, to be honest with you, Grant. That's awesome. You know, you talk about pressure, Charles. I'm wondering how many teammates you played with over the years where when the game was on the line, you're like, there's no way I'm throwing that person the ball. Not because they're not good, but because they don't handle pressure well. You you came across that, didn't you? Oh, no question. Listen. Basketball, to me, is kind of like a, being a, a relief pitcher. You know, Michael Jordan has talked about it, like how many shots he missed. You're probably going to miss a lot of shots. But the one thing you can't be is afraid. You can't, you, you can't be afraid because you're going to miss some, you're going to make some. But the one thing you're going to do, you cannot be afraid. And, and it's not a game of perfect. If you open, shoot it. Some you're going to miss, some you're going to make. That's just the way the game is. Charles, I appreciate you, man. I I can't thank you enough for coming on as my first guest on If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. I hope to run into you again, whether it's Tahoe, whether it's somewhere else. But uh, I appreciate you. I just want you to know that I really appreciate you. You're welcome, my brother. Hey, you take care of yourself and be safe. And enjoy Miami, brother. Yes, sir. It's time for Grant, Grant, Grant. Grant's Rant, brought to you by New Works Plumbing, a locally owned plumbing company in the greater Sacramento area for 20 years. They do repiping for Kytec and copper pipes. Hey, do you still have a tanked water heater? Well, get rid of it. Save money with an energy-efficient tankless unit. Hey, folks, New Works Plumbing, they're a full-service plumbing company. They'll remove the headache from plumbing repairs. Trust me on that. Be sure and schedule an inspection today. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. All right, let's get right to Grant's Ramp. Now, this makes no sense to me, so I need some help here. I really do. Well, first of all, I need help in a lot of areas, but I definitely need help with this. You've got the governor of Florida basically saying, come on in, come on down. Come on into my stadiums. All right, let's keep it to the NFL right now. Miami, Tampa Bay, and Jacksonville. Open up the doors. Let's go. On the very same day, you've got the mayor of Miami saying, "Uh uh-uh, no Trump here on October 15th for the presidential debate. 
Now, I get it. You don't want anybody in your city if they've got COVID. Now, I don't know if the president would still have COVID on October 15th. I mean, I'm not Dr. Fauci for crying out loud. All right, so I'm going to leave that on the back burner. But, I mean, think about that. On the same day the governor says, bring them on in, the mayor's saying, stay away. Now, look what's going on in Tennessee with the Titans organization. They have over 20 members of the organization this week testing positive for the virus. We saw what happened last week with Cam Newton. We saw what happened a couple days ago with Gilmore. All right? Now, think about the NFL. Think about the protocol. Think of the safety measures. Think of the testing. If they can't keep their players virus-free, what makes you think that you're going to get sixty to 65000 to you into a stadium? Now, first of all, in Miami, unless they're handing out $100 bills at the freaking turnstile, nobody's going to watch the Dolphins play anybody. All right, anyway, are you, are you, are you really going to go watch the Miami Dolphins play? Stop it already. Same with Jacksonville. But Tampa? Yeah, I could see fans going to see Tom Brady and Tampa play. Are you going to feel safe going into a stadium with 65,000 other people? That's for you to decide. But again, I'm confused with the message with all of this. I'm seeing what's going on in Tennessee. I'm seeing what's going on in New England. I'm seeing what's going on with other franchises and sports. And yet, in Florida, no problem. Bring them on in. Makes no sense to me. Hey, folks, leave me a comment. Subscribe. Let's let's have some conversation back and forth. Tell me what you think, because I'd love to get into a debate on this. Again, it just absolutely makes no sense to me. Now, remember, if you don't like that with Grant Napier, comes out every Tuesday and Friday. And Monday through Friday, I'll have my Grant's rant, both on this platform and on YouTube. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this, all right? We'll come up with new ideas, but I really, again, I want to hear from you. So leave a comment. Hit me up on Twitter, at Grant Napier Show. Hit me up right here. Leave a comment, and I'll do my best to get back to you. Folks, hope you enjoyed the conversation today with Charles Barkley as much as I did. Thanks for listening. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.